So welcome to another episode of Stories and Solutions. I am Mr. Todd. I have a special guest and uh, her name is Diane. And um, we're going to be speaking about what it's like, well, just random things, but also about uh, what it's like when they talk about parents shouldn't have to bury a child or however the transition goes. And the reason why I thought of this conversation was because it wasn't through like what's going on today where you keep hearing gang violence and, um, you know, just things where people have, uh, you know, died unnecessarily things that you can't control. So, um, that's my, uh, from what my, who my guest is for. So thanks for coming on to stories and solutions and where you share your stories. Many, uh, people have stories and not many share the solutions. So I wanted to talk about the one thing that most parents dread, which is burying a child. So in today's climate, the, uh, inner city, and even back when I was a child, I saw parents crying and because they were, you know, I grew up in the Bronx and there was a lot of violence and drugs and crime. And thankfully, um, that wasn't the reason for sorrow, but, uh, your daughter, Tanya acquired, uh, diabetes at age three and then on had a lifelong struggle with it. So would you kind of care to like elaborate on that? That's fine. Uh, Tanya was born a normal child, and she acquired measles at the age of two and a half. And after having measles, we noticed a difference in her behavior, such as wetting the bed and wetting herself after she was potty trained at the age of one. Uh, when I became pregnant with my third child and I took Tanya in for a checkup, the doctors told us that uh, she was uh, either a diabetic or had kidney problems. Well, once I delivered my third child, we had Tanya in the hospital for a while and um, they got her settled on Insulin, she had to be injected every morning with insulin, so. Okay. So I that negates one of my questions was, do you remember when you found out? But uh, you said uh, one years old. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, how did it affect your life at home, like with your eldest? Because usually, you know, like there's usually a responsibility shift or, you know, mm-hmm. like sometimes they they don't notice or, you know, some do, and then they start treating them differently, uh, things like that. Well, there was just a two-year difference between Tanya and her sister, and it was kind of symbiotic. Her sister learned to take care of her, was very caring with her, and um, would help. You know, she would tell me if Tanya was going to eat something that she shouldn't eat. And, um, snitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, she was very helpful. Uh, she was that type of child. So it didn't really change us other than we had to have supplies that you wouldn't normally have in your home, <clears throat> such yes, as it, syringes and, you know, things like that. So that's my next question was uh, back when then like technology was not what it is now. So do you think Mm -hmm. she would have fared better if she was born at a later time? Oh, absolutely. And was her demeanor like before and then after the diagnosis different? Yes. Before the diagnosis, we noticed that she would start wetting herself, as I said before, and then she would dehydrate. She would get bumps on her skin and she was lethargic and then after the diagnosis that we were giving her the insulin and changing her diet she was vibrant you know she was a regular little three-year-old she was vibrant enthusiastic inquisitive and she learned how to take care of herself quite early in her life so um did your older daughter did she have an awareness or I know you said it was symbiotic, but like, did you, did you tell her? We told her what was wrong with her sister, but remember now she was young herself Mm. and she would watch the ritual every day, you know, Tanya getting her insulin and testing her urine. You know, we would have to test her urine and uh, many doctor visits. Uh, they were both very young. Michelle is only two years older. So do you think it, um, like, diet has anything to do that with it? Or um, like, or more like towards a defect of something, like how they say your chromosomes or something is not on? Well, no. The doctors told us that because she had measles, which is a virus, mm-hmm. it tends to open a window, so to speak, And anything that's in your familial um, structure, and my family, there's a lot of diabetics. So diabetes came through that window, and that's why she became a juvenile diabetic. Um, You know, she was a premature baby, but that had nothing to do with with the the diabetes. diabetes. Okay. Right. So can you describe kind of her personality and her interest? Well, she's always been um, happy-go-lucky and, uh, like I said, inquisitive. She would have a difficult time learning something, but once she knew it, it was there for good. And she was um, helpful and just a, a a good child. She liked to sing and dance. So if you fast forward to things that, like, I can remember um, going to the hospital all the time, um, children's hospital or doctors and the insulin pumps and, you know, even the bad stuff with the diabetic comas and her lips turning colors. Um, But I remember, like, breaking her leg and riding the bikes, and it took forever for her leg to heal. So over those years, it took its toll. Would you say, like there was like any one thing you felt made the impact to for that bad turn like that the one that was like the the end well because she was a diabetic <clears throat> she wouldn't heal the way let's say you or i would heal 
It would take a little longer. Mm. And because she was a diabetic, her internal body got older faster. So let's say when she was 12, they told me her lungs were that of an older person. I think uh, just bad luck, you know, had a lot to play with it and uh, stress. And when she became a teenager, it was even more difficult because she wanted to be like everybody else. You know, she had to wear a pump. I remember. Um, they would call you call um, her R2-D2. Yeah, and kids would make fun of her at school. Yeah. And, um, you know, being a girl, she wanted to look like the other girls and dress like the other girls, and sometimes she couldn't. <clears throat> and also, being a diabetic, she would gain weight at a certain time. And she wanted to be slim and trim. She she was a glamour girl as she got older. She liked makeup and dressing up and boys, <laughs> you know. She was a regular teenager, and diabetes would hold her back sometimes. So you would say, um, like, I didn't, I kept thinking about when it came to, like, her leg not healing. Then it seemed like her spirit was different. Or, you know, that kind of thing. But what would you, uh, what's an adjective you would use to describe uh, Tanya? Enthusiastic. So when she had to have the uh, kidney and the uh, dialysis that uh, uh, my sister, your your daughter, um, uh-huh. uh, but uh, she needed a uh, kidney and then the dialysis, to me, to when it went downhill, but um, when her sister, uh, well, I guess it's just first name, Michelle, gave her the kidney, she seemed pretty good for a while. Um, did you f- did you feel like comfort and you know joy at that point, like a relief? Well, yes. When Michelle offered to give her the kidney, we all were tested to see who would be the better donor. Yeah, I was messed up. And Michelle, yes, every, you know, myself, her father, her brother, we all were tested, and um, Michelle was the better donor. And once, uh, once Tanya received the kidney, she was normal again. And I say normal because... She was able to exercise. She could do all the things she couldn't do before. Um, uh, We didn't even have to watch her diet so much because she was uh, a new person. You know, she would run races. She had friends that were track stars, and she would exercise with them and you know she was just uh, enthusiastic about life and that was the greatest gift her sister could have given her but um, because she was on rejection medications you know her bones started to get brittle 
and that was another fight that she had to deal with. So, um, right about now, I'm going to take a quick commercial. Today's episode is sponsored by Tat T-Shirts. Conversation clothing to make you think. Tat, T-A-T-T, hyphen, T-E-E, shirts.com. Or on the gram at Tat, T-A-T-T, underscore, T-E-E, shirts. So we're back. This is Stories and Solutions. I am Mr. Todd. We are here with a special guest, Diane. She's the mother of Tanya, and uh, she was 37 years old uh, when she passed away from diabetes. And uh, we're talking about what it's like to lose a child. Uh, Before I get into it, um, I'd like to say a thank you to Tatis for sponsoring this segment of the show. And here we are. So um, when her uh, kidney started to fail, she needed a heart valve transplant also. And she got that at UCLA. And prior to that, she had to uh, have her leg partially amputated because of the medication, right? Correct. So um, I was helping her at that time. And I remember... Um, I knew she was, like, really depressed. But do you feel like that was the beginning of the end? Uh, Yes, because she was much older, and she was pretty much on her own. She still lived at home at that time, but she, you know, was an adult and took care of herself. So with, with taking care of herself, sometimes she wouldn't make good decisions, and it's part of life. You have to let your children go. And um, losing her foot, again, that's an aesthetic part of her life. And she had to find a way to become, quote, unquote, normal again, as far as she was concerned. Um, you know, it's hard to get a boyfriend if you have one foot and um, these are things that bothered her and depressed her and sometimes she was a little reckless so you know the older you get (laughs) it seemed like the more mistakes she was making yeah well I always knew her like as a fighter uh, feisty Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did see her giving up as she was losing her independence. And mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the things I I I thought about was uh, when uh, Michelle, like she mentioned, she thought she was going to pass. And I was telling, you know, like telling Shell and whoever, like, hey, you know, things are going to get bad. They seem like they're getting bad. And... I tried to have her stay with me when I was in Burbank and she said she didn't want to be a burden. And I remembered that. And I kept thinking, you know, like I drove to Valencia like practically every day cause she would lock herself out or 
for banking or food shopping or whatever because she couldn't do much. And um, I, I, that to me was a matter of like when it would be the matter of time. You know, that's how, that's how I remember. Well, you know, she was going downhill because she'd fallen and she had a cut on, again, the quote unquote good foot and it wasn't healing. So intellectually, she knew what that meant. And also the disease took hold of her psyche. Near the end, you know, like you said, she would lock herself out and forget things. And it was very, it was very hard for me because I was not living close to her. Yeah, you were out out of the States. Yes, I was, and I had to work with her on the phone. You know, I spoke to her every day. And um, I could hear the difference, and um, I don't know if this would help, but at that time she did have a boyfriend, and she was looking forward to getting married and having a life. I I even offered her to come and live with me and uh, her stepfather. And she said, no, I'm going to be married and live in my own home. So there was a part of her that wanted that normal life. And then there was another part of her that saw her life really changing, her health, you know, really changing. Yeah. I remember when she yelled at me because... uh uh, I had to cut her nails, and she was just livid. And I and I I told her like that's your vanity, you know. But uh, I said once you get better, then you can do all that. But um, I got I I I'm at the part where um, we say like this horrible day. So you know, uh, I was trying to figure out if you could describe what you remember. Um, because the whole purpose of this whole thing is that uh, the parent um, doesn't, like, that's what I think is unique about it, is they shouldn't have to uh, bury a child, but in this case, for example, you it was kind of like a, like you already knew, like there was eventually, and you know, unless something tragically happened to you, but eventually that it looked like that's the road, which is what we were talking about, that it would, it would come to. So um, were you, do you feel like you were mentally prepared or, because um, I always felt like, even though I knew, um, I, I, there was nothing I could feel, felt like I could prepare for. It was like, you know, that wasn't something that I, I went through before with a sibling to be able to say, oh, okay, I got this. You know, like unfamiliar feeling. Well, I don't think any of us can be as prepared as we think we are. I used to pray for her to get better. And because I had a difficult time having children, I would always thank the Lord for giving her to me. And I remember asking him 
to take her out of her misery because at that particular time she was in misery. She was hospitalized for a week. She'd go home for a week, and then she'd be back in the hospital. And as you said, you know, her siblings were taking care of her. And um, I knew that I was going to lose my child, and I would talk to her about it. We would talk about it, and she would always try to uh, comfort me and tell me not to worry about her, that she would always be with Jesus. And that was her comfort as well. Yeah. And she would try to make me uh, not be afraid. But um, the night before she passed, I called her and reminded her that I would wake her up because she had to go to dialysis that next morning. And she was very sad that night. And uh, I told her that I was coming to visit her. And that, you know, buoyed her spirits just a little bit. You know, she was anxious for me to see her. And I said to her, now, don't forget your brother's coming to do your bills because it would have been the third of the month. And that's when, you know, her bills would be paid. And uh, I, I remember the day starting out with me calling her, as I said I would, and not getting any answer, and continuing to call and call. And I called the superintendent of her building, and she said, I don't have a key because Tanya lost her key again, and I gave her one the other day, and she never returned it to me. So it was a, a hard day, and something inside of me told me what happened. You know, I kind of knew. I felt her. I honestly felt her. So I don't think any parent can really be ready to lose a child. And I think when you do lose a child, you lose part of yourself. And that part dies. But you'll find that you'll hold on to the good memories. Yeah. And they'll always be with you. That's a good good way to help uh you know, with people that are listening. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, people like in Germany and Peru, um, all over the place, it's pretty cool. So if you could have one wish, but you have to think of the counterbalance of it, what would the wish be? Would be to have her back in my life nice and healthy. So what's the counter- counterbalance? You'd be losing something. I probably would lose time if I had to have her back, but... I, I, you know, that would be my wish to have her back. Uh, and frankly, I don't care what condition she would be in, you know, just to have my child back. I once said to somebody, um, your children grow up, but they'll always be your child, no matter how old they get, you know, in your mind's eye, that's your child. Yeah. And uh, you always want the good for them, you know. They grow up and they they don't want mommy poo pooing all over them any anymore. But once you're a parent, you'll understand. Well, I'm a parent, <laughs> so like I, um, I would say I wouldn't uh, like when you say like you you're the child like they're always your child. I think like mm-hmm. if I think if my child uh, like stole from me, like my life savings or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that wouldn't be that'd be a deal breaker. <laughs> I, I I'm not I'm not visiting my kid in jail <laughs> after you took all my well, money. Well, that's easy to say, Mister Todd, because you don't have to do it. Well, yeah, it, it's you know it's funny when you have children. A lot of the barriers that you may have had before, they are broken when that particular time comes yeah i i mean i'm a forgiving person but uh Mm -hmm. i i try to show my kids uh like consequences like like there's things you know because you're not gonna always get another chance and i don't forget i don't um i'm just not but i but i but i I don't know. I don't know. If, I think I have a line, <laughs> but I think that's what everybody. So, um, stories and solutions is as a life guide, as I am. Um, I would like to discuss. You know, um, I told you the years ago, and like you have space for yourself and um, like a place where you can talk to Tanya or cry or sleep and just be the two of you without judgment, without like if somebody says, why are you talking about that? And she's not right there or whatever it is. Um, like I went to put flowers today. Um, so it could be like in your backyard, front yard, corner room. Um, and I use this with students and parents as a guide and I give it a kind of like a blueprint to give to them for their own space. And it's pretty liberating because I have my own little space I go to. Usually it's a cemetery. Sometimes it's this spot up in the mountains. Um, I do go to the beach a lot. I hike, I drive, I write, and then I do this and hoping that it helps people. So you ever think of doing something like writing a short story that could be published and you can use it towards the diabetes foundation or use your knowledge from nursing to help the kids. Um, I don't know, things like make sugar-free snacks at home, start your own Girl Scout cookie type of thing, trend for diabetics, just suggestions, solutions. You ever think of those stuff that, like those that? are very good ideas being um, I don't know if your audience would need to know but the fact that I am um, I uh, I'm blind there are some things I cannot do anymore that I would like to do I'd really like to work with children yeah you can do that <clears throat> yeah. just volunteer mm-hmm. volunteer at a at a place and they'll have you set up at a spot, like you're at a table, and they'll bring you the students, and hey, whatever it is, arts and crafts, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever it is you want to do. Because if you go to, like, a, I don't know, if it's the Diabetes Foundation, or if you just want to go to help kids, um, you can go to these places and tell them, and they'll be thrilled. Like, they'll probably treat you like a queen, because it's, like the fact that you are blind mm-hmm. and you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a need to teach my grandchildren 
there are lots of times I think of things I'd like to teach them and tell them, you know, but being that we live so far apart and because of the pandemic, I can't get to see them. So <laughs> um, I'm saving up stuff for them. But that's a, those are good ideas that you're giving me. Good. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. So um, with your grandkids, I would say you can speak into uh, your phone and have the assignment or whatever it is you're trying to do. And mm-hmm. and then you can email to them or send to them, however long it is. Or mm-hmm. you can do a Zoom and you say, okay, once a month I'm going to do a Zoom and I'm going to teach you something and you have three lessons and it's all set up beforehand. Stuff like that. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I have... Uh Two feisty grandchildren. You may know them. I thought you had four. And, uh, well, I have two feisty ones. The two older ones. Not feisty. They're 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 not so feisty anymore. They're people. <laughs> okay. Um, and my my oldest granddaughter is finding her way right now, living apart from the family and working and being an adult <clears throat> my older grandson is has Asperger's and he's trying hard to uh, find a life for himself but my two younger ones are young and rambunctious and full of life and I want to enjoy that so yeah, they tell me that's all the time. My, that's my goal. <laughs> what? They tell me today, um, Taj says, you, uh, everything I do is my fault because Tessa's never in trouble. It's always I'm doing something. And I told him, mm-hmm. no, you're older, so you should stop picking on her or, or trying to make her pissed off or something. And then you, when mm-hmm. I get mad at you, then you say, oh, everything's my fault. Well, you started it, so that's how it works. And, mm-hmm. but then he'll call her names and I'll tell him, like, so if I called you an idiot, do you like it? He says, yeah, no, I don't like that. Well, then why call her an idiot? And he understands, but he's just a kid. So I don't, I don't even stress myself out because compared to, when I'm well, when I was at work, I did I didn't. Uh, those kids are way worse. <laughs> so I I kind of just tell myself he's he's trying to find his space, and that's about it. But uh, and it's harder, it's harder for him now because he's not around other kids. So he's well, not all gonna the time. Try out every yeah, he's gonna try out stuff on her, you know, and. Uh, She's it right now. Yeah, they, I mean, he has friends, but but they, mm-hmm. especially with COVID, it's like. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's difficult. Yeah, because I'm more like I don't want him going to people's houses, but we mm-hmm. have outside play dates. But then, mm-hmm. then you have these, you know, oh, there's a new scare and no, nobody wants to go anywhere. But I'm I'm outside, you know, I'm just away from mm-hmm. people. But he, mm-hmm. he, uh, yeah, he he needs to 
be around kids that are a good influence because every all the kids that are his age and even younger they're playing shooting games and you know grand theft auto and i'm like nah dude you, you don't have these games so he's the he's the one where it's like he looks more sheltered but i look at it as mm-hmm. i look at it as i i work with these kids so i know that there's an influence with these shooting games and the way they think mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i don't care i'm not paying extra money for some therapist when i'd rather just keep my kid away from it And I Mm -hmm. explain it to him. Like, I show him the games. I just tell him, I don't want you playing this. Like, your brain has no reason to want to shoot anybody. You should be learning, you know, how to build things and use your brain, not, you know, just, oh, let me go murder somebody because my friend said it's cool. So, so be Mm -hmm. it. So, thank you for coming on the show. And um, I hope there's parents out there that have a, similar feelings and uh maybe found something to help cope and that we kind of became a solution to sorrow because i think when you talk about things even if it's a little awkward at first it's not like the feeling wasn't there it's just that most people hide it and uh that's kind of why i don't talk to people because they don't want to hear it anyway so i don't i just don't waste my time but uh, I I um, I try to give solutions to anybody just because I think it's an energy thing, and uh, if people are calmer, then life is it flows a little bit better, and then you get hit with you know stuff like I have, and and I still have to have a good mindset. I, so I think when you let people know like they're not alone. And here's a little idea that worked for me that better than, you know, like somebody getting a flat tire and they don't know what the first thing to do. Somebody's at least giving mm-hmm. you a couple of tidbits, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you for having me. Cool. So it's 1130 in the East Coast and the Rams are the uh, Super Bowl champs. And uh, were you going for the Rams or the, ba- the Bengals? The Bengals, it's like East Coast, West Coast, but none of my teams won this year, so yeah, you here like, we come next year. You like the Lions, right? No, I like the Chiefs. Oh, you switched teams. You used to like the I Lions. I like the Chiefs. Yeah, I like the Chiefs, and I like the Bills. And Yeah, the Bills did okay this year. No, yeah, the Bills, both those teams did okay this year. Just bad luck. Yeah, I I like the Giants, but they suck. And then uh, I like the Rams. Um, Mm -hmm. I like the Bills. That's about it. I don't like, like, I'm not a Raiders guy. or I've never been a loyal, even with, like, the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. I don't pay attention to baseball anyways. But (laughs) I don't don't dislike them, but I just don't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I hope you have a good night. Well, you as well and i'm glad that the medication is working so thank you for listening to another episode of stories and solutions i am your host mr todd and a big thank you to all my guests tune in next week for another episode of stories and solutions thank you for listening